Turn your Bibles with me, if you will, this evening to Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Here's a story that we've read a number of times, but we usually read it from Mark chapter 11. But I just kind of had it on my heart to read from Matthew's account. Uh, same information is there, a little bit different wording and a little bit different uh, presentation. So um, we'll start in Matthew chapter 21. Beginning in verse 18, talking about Jesus and his disciples, it says, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said to it, here's Jesus speaking to the fig tree, Let no fruit grow on thee hereafter, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And we know from Mark chapter 11 that it was the next morning that it withered away. Verse 20, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. Verse 22, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, here's the qualifier, believing, you shall receive. Folks, I want to talk to you tonight about changing your world. Now, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree and the supernatural, and, and I don't think there's anybody that could doubt that uh, or argue the fact that it was a supernatural occurrence that took place. A fig tree died overnight. It was full. It looked like it had uh, fruit on it or should have fruit on it the day before. Jesus speaks to it, and the next morning it's withered up from the roots, dried up from the roots, according to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 11. It was dried up from the roots which only says to me that it looks like lightning struck it or something that would cause the leaves to be dead and look like it's been dead for a long time. If Jesus had taken a chainsaw to it instead of spoken words to it, it would be laying on the ground the next morning, but it still have green leaves, right? But it doesn't. It's withered away. It's dried up from the roots. So certainly this is a, a supernatural occurrence, even a spectacular result. And in, when the disciples called it to Jesus' uh, attention, Jesus didn't say anything like the modern church seems to, to hold true or hold as far as their doctrine of belief. For example, most of the church seems to think Jesus did miracles because he was the son of God. If that was the case, then Jesus would have answered the disciples and said, yeah, don't try this yourself. This happened because I'm the son of God and it was, it's proof to you that God sent me. But that's not what he said. He told them how they could do the same thing which shows that Jesus didn't do the miracle because he was the son of God, because they're certainly not sons of God. Jesus didn't even say, now one of these days, after I go to the cross and, and pay the price for sin and then am raised from the dead, you'll be able to do this too. He didn't say that. He says, yeah, okay, here's how this works, and here's how you can do it too. Can I have an amen? Okay. Sometimes I'm not sure. Jesus is telling them the principles so that they can get the same supernatural and even spectacular results. He's telling them, here's how to change your world. He just changed his. And instead of saying, yeah, now this was a special case. You don't understand. Someday there's going to be a book about all the things that I did and we need to make sure to have a good story. None of that. He gives them the principle for how you can change things in your life. And as a matter of fact, according to, to what Mark, both Matthew and Mark tell us, I like the way Matthew says it, Jesus answered and says in verse 21, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree. In other words, he's saying this is not a big deal. Because you can not only do what you've seen me do to the fig tree, but also if you say to the mountain, it works on bigger stuff too. But also if you say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Jesus is saying without qualification that this will work on anything in your world. Now I say without qualification because the qualifi there are qualifiers in here, but the qualifiers are not on what you use it on. The qualifiers are on you doubting not and believing. Those are the only qualifiers that he puts. Those are the only conditions he puts on this. The conditions are not, well, now don't go overboard with this. It'll work on small stuff. Yeah, you can change a few things. But don't expect something big to happen. No, as a matter of fact, he says, if you think this is big, it works on even bigger stuff than this. He's giving them the principle for how to change your world. 
I'm just letting that soak in. He's saying that you can change anything in your life. Anything. How do we know? Well, notice verse 22 again. He said, and all things. Now, how much is all? Does it exclude anything? I mean, he could have just as easily said, and most things. He could have said some things. He could have said a few things. But he said, and all things. All is the the, the only all-inclusive term you could use, isn't it? And all things, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing. That's the only qualifier that he puts on here, according to Matthew. Believing, you shall receive. And all things. In other words, there's nothing is too hard for you to change with this principle. There is no situation that comes against you in life. There's no attack of the devil. There's no adversity. There's no circumstance. There's no sickness. There's no financial situation. There is nothing that comes against you in life that you cannot change with this principle that's called faith. Can I show you something else about this? Point something else about this? He didn't say God will change it. He said, it'll obey you. Then why are people asking God to change things? Why are people looking for God to do something about their situation instead of using the principle that Jesus said will change anything, no matter how big? See, I'm just simple enough to think that's an honest question. I know in a lot of people's thinking that's sacrilegious. Oh, the very idea. You faith people, you name it and claim it folks, you blab and grab it people, whatever other terminology they want to use. Who do you think you are? Well, what does that have to do with anything? Who I think I am has nothing to do with what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, and if you think right about who you are, all these things can be done. He didn't even say that. Now, sure, that's an important issue, but it's not relevant to changing your world. Jesus said this principle will change anything. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible tells us, Matthew chapter, um, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11, Mark's account of this, Jesus identifies this principle as faith. Well, that makes sense even if you don't go to Mark because he talks about everything being possible if you believe. Believing and having faith are one and the same thing. Those are synonymous terms. Some people try to split hairs between nouns and verbs and all that kind of stuff, but it's basically the same thing. So he's telling us this principle that changes anything, the principle that will change anything in your world, big, little, small, easy-looking, impossible-looking, this principle that will change anything in your world is faith. Now, notice what the Bible says about faith. Let's start reading in chapter 11 of Hebrews. I believe Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. I may have said that before. Um, beginning in verse 1. The Holy Spirit inspires the writer to say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, things that you hope for don't have any substance. That's why when people are hoping that God's going to heal them, that never comes to fruition. Well, I'm just hoping that someday God's going to do something about my situation. That day never comes. You can't find anybody for whom that day ever comes because hoping is not the, the, the principle whereby you change your world. Now, if it was, oh, brother, if it was, If hoping was the only necessary ingredient for you changing the impossible things in your life, man, we'd see stuff happening every moment of every day. But it's not the principle that Jesus said will change. Change things. It's not the principle that Jesus said you can change your world with. So hope may be good, but it's a waste of time when it comes to changing your world. Oh, Pastor Mike. Don't you know the Bible says that there are three things that will last forever? Three great things, faith, hope, and love. Hope is very important. Well, that's true. Hope is very important. Love is very important too. But love won't change your world. Only faith will change your world. Only faith is the principle whereby you can change circumstances and situations in your life. So don't get uh, don't get all teary eyed on me and, and thinking, well, but but hope's important and love. Love is the key and, and bless people's hearts. They read what Paul said, speaking specifically to the Corinthians to fix their situation. He's not saying love is the most important thing of every in every situation and in every circumstance. Love is important always because love is the commandment of the New Testament. 
But if you need a change in your life, if you need to receive something from God, love is not the way you get it. So if the greatest need in your life at any one moment is to receive from God, love is not the greatest thing. It never ceases to be an important thing. But faith is the important thing or the the greatest thing in your situation at that particular time because that's what you need. Right? So when Paul says the greatest of these is love, he's talking about for the church to fix the things that they've got going wrong. And the things that he's speaking specifically about that are going wrong is their use of spiritual gifts or manifestations of the spirit. He says you need to use these things in line with love or from a foundation of love. So for you, love is the greatest thing. He's not talking about a blanket statement that, that it covers in every situation. Folks, if somebody is, is unsaved and they need to get saved, how does the Bible say you get saved? For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. For by grace you are saved through faith. Well, then how important is love for them to get saved? Well, the love of God was necessary to send Jesus, but their love has nothing to do with them getting saved. So in their situation at that particular moment, when salvation is the greatest need of their life, faith is the greatest thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't get caught up in things. You can make things sound real religious and miss the blessing of what God intends for you to have. So he's talking about faith. And he says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope has no substance. Hope is always out in the future. Hope never takes hold of anything because it never comes time. Hope is always out in the future. Somewhere along the way, you have to say something is mine now. That's what faith does. So faith gives substance to what you hope for. If you're hoping that someday something's going to happen, that day that it happens is going to be the day when by faith you say it's mine now. You're not going to respond to anything I say no matter what it is, are you? That's okay. As long as I know you're getting some of it, I don't, I don't care if you make noise or not. Noise is not important for me to preach. But I just want to make sure that you are getting what I'm saying. And from the looks, I can't, hardly, I can't always tell. Brother Hagin used to talk about people looking at him like a cow at a new gate. Now, I didn't say that. I just said he said that. Verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, notice that phrase. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, if faith is the evidence of things not seen, there must be unseen things. Now, that's a real important point to tonight's message. There are unseen things. There are things that you cannot see. And the fact that you can't see them doesn't mean they're not, they're not real. As a matter of fact, he talks a little bit further, a little bit more about these unseen things. Verse 2, it says, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. If you want to make God happy, walk by faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We know that from the Genesis account of creation. God looked into the darkness and said, let there be light. God looked into the nothingness and said, let there be an earth, and let there be a moon, let there be a sun and stars. Let the waters recede and, and, and let there be boundaries for the dry land and let there come forth uh, grass and herb-bearing seed and different things like that. All those things happen because of God's word. And that's what it's saying. It's saying through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, God used faith to create the worlds. How? By speaking words. Isn't that exactly what Jesus just said about changing your world over in Matthew chapter 21? Didn't he say you change your word, world through words? Didn't he? He said you'd say to the tree, and it even works on bigger stuff like mountains. Now, folks, I don't think Jesus is really saying, here's how to rearrange the geography of the world. I don't really think he's trying to say, let's put Mount, you know, Zion over here or Mount Sinai from this place over to that place. I don't think he's trying to talk about that. He's talking about mountains of circumstance. He's talking about things that are obstacles. This tree was an obstacle because it looked like it was fruitful, but it was not. That kind of shows God's attitude toward things that are unfruitful. You don't ever want to be unfruitful in your life. You want to produce fruit in your life. Don't just be a tree that looks like it has leaves. And the Bible uses trees as an example of people. It says we're like trees planted by the rivers of living water. We're supposed to produce fruit. Well, what kind of fruit are we supposed to produce? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, meekness and temperance. 
those nine things are a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Those are things that are supposed to be developed in our lives. Difference between fruit and works. Fruit is a result of character. Those are things that we develop on our own. Works are the things that we do by the inspiration of God or by the direction of God's Word. God wants us to have both. The problem you have with a lot of people is you see uh, works produced in their life, but there's no fruit or character to back it up. Those people are short-lived. Jesus spent 30 years developing his character and only three years doing works. I wonder if that ratio is supposed to apply to us. I wonder if we should put 10 times the effort into developing our character as we do trying to do things for God. It seemed to work for Jesus. So he says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke words and things occurred. Things appeared. Things were created. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, he's saying the things that we see were made from things that we don't see. Now, what are the things that created the world? Words. Words. The unseen things he's talking about are words. And he says the unseen things were more real than the seen things because the unseen things created the things that we can see. Now, can I ask you a question? When did that change? We know it was that way in the beginning because God took the unseen words of faith and spoke the earth into existence, right? So it was true then. We know it must have been true in Jesus' day because Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it died. It must have continued to be true in Paul's day because Paul wrote and said, here's how it works. He didn't say, here's how it used to work. He didn't say, now the Holy Spirit revealed to me that it used to be like this, but now that we're saved, it's different now. He didn't say that. So when did it change? Folks, it'll never change. That's one thing that the Bible does mean when Paul was talking to the Corinthians. There are three things that will never change, faith, hope, and love. Faith never changes. The spoken word never loses its power. So what is he saying? He's saying that there are unseen things that are more real than the things that you see. And those unseen things are called words. Be still. Did you see how I debate? The unseen things that he's talking about are words. Now, where do we get words to change things in our lives, impossible things in our lives? Turn with me over to, um, well, before we go there, let's look first at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's don't build a doctrine off just one scripture. Let's make sure that the Bible confirms itself. Scripture says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So let's get a couple of witnesses on this so that we don't fly off half-cocked, so to speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 13. We'll skip around a little bit because some of this uh, uh, will apply as a principle, but uh, not all of it will apply in the context that he's speaking to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul said, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. In other words, he's saying when you believe from your heart and speak with your mouth, you have the same spirit of faith as Jesus. That's why Jesus said to the disciples when they questioned him about the fig tree withering away, that's why he said to the disciples, here's how it works. Because you can have the same spirit of faith as me, guys. That's what he's saying. He's saying this is not some exclusive um, characteristic of me because I'm the son of God, because I was born of a virgin and because I'm anointed of the Holy Ghost. He said, here's how it works. So let me show you so that you can do the same thing. And if you believe in your heart and speak with your mouth, you can have the same spirit of faith that I have and get the same results. That's what he's saying. Paul's telling us that now by the Holy Ghost when he writes to the Corinthians. We having the same spirit of faith. Thank God we have the same spirit of faith as Jesus. You know, it do you good to look yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that? I've got the same spirit of faith as Jesus does. Now, maybe the first time you say it, you're going to have to duck under the counter. Oh, dear Lord, where's the lightning coming from? Because that sure does cut across ways, cut uh, directly across religious tradition, doesn't it? To think that anybody would claim to have something the same as Jesus. Well, you got the same eternal life as Jesus. You got the same Holy Ghost as Jesus. You got the same spirit of faith as Jesus. You got the same righteousness as Jesus. 
He said, the works that I do show you do also, so you can have the same works in your life as him. you got the same spirit of love. you got the same deposit of love in your heart that he had in his. you got the same fruit of the Spirit as him because you got the same Holy Ghost. Folks, everything you've got is the same as Jesus, whether you know it or not. And it would be good for you to know that. So he says, you can have the same spirit of faith as Jesus. Well, how do we know we do? Well, he said, here's how it works. He said, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We therefore also believe and speak. The same spirit of faith means if you would believe and speak the same things Jesus believed and spoke, you have the same spirit of faith as him. Now let's skip around a little bit. Let's skip down to verse 16. He says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now why is he talking about the spirit of faith in connection with the outward man and the inward man? That's very simple. Because the outward man is the one that's seeing things. The inward man is the only one that's going to have access to the unseen things. We're all well acquainted with the outward man. We're all well acquainted with the things that our body tells us are real. But folks, you need to understand something. There are two realities. The things that you see are real, and the things that you don't see are even more real. So the inward man versus the outward man is is a very important issue when it comes to the spirit of faith. Because you're going to talk according to one of those two. You're going to believe, and you're going to speak according to either what the outward man sees, hears, and feels, or according to what the inward man sees and hears. We don't have any indication that the inward man feels. Which one's it going to be? Well, that's what Paul is talking about. He said, though our outward man perish, that another translation says the outward man is decaying. He's not talking about being sick. He's not talking about being destroyed. He's talking about getting older. That's certainly happening, huh? And things happen with age. Your eyesight starts trying to get away from you. Sometimes you don't think as good as you used to when you were young. You're going to have to fight against those things because those are natural elements. Those are natural consequences of aging. I can't run as fast as I used to. I've solved the problem now. I just don't try. (laughs) The outward man is decaying. The outward man is perishing. Things change when you get older. You may not like it, but that's just the fact. You may be able to slow it down, but you can't stop it altogether because you do have a body. And that body is still subject to the law of sin and death that Adam entered, allowed to enter into the world when he disobeyed God. So it's here. It's operational. <laughs> Brother, is it operational? That's all he's saying. He said, Knowing our, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, the spirit is different from the outward man. The outward man ages and he decays as he ages. The inward man, not so. The inward man is renewed. You'll never be any older spiritually than you are right now. Now, your spirit may, your spirit as having access, to, when he's talking about the inward man, he's not talking about spirit as opposed to soul. He's talking about the spirit and the soul together. Because when he talks about the renewed spirit, the only way your spirit can be renewed is by renewing your mind to the word. So the more you meditate on the word, the more you Um, speak the word, the more you have experience in the word, then the more your inward man is renewed. You're adding experience to the deposit that the Holy Ghost put on the inside of you to begin with. That's what he's talking about. The inward man is renewed day by day. In other words, he's saying as you act and and operate according to God's word, that inward man becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. The outward man may get weaker as you go. When I was... Uh, what was I? When I was 22 years old in college, I could lift anything you could put on a bar. I'd go in the weight room. They'd just stack stuff up. I could, it didn't matter. I could push just about anything you could stack on that thing. Now I can count whatever you stack on that thing. <laughs> and I didn't do anything except get older. I've gotten a lot weaker. It's not my fault. I kept, I kept working out. It's not my fault. It's not that way with spirit man. Spirit man doesn't get weaker. The more he has experience and the more he acts on the word, the stronger he gets. Yes, amen. That's what he's saying. And that has a lot to do with believing and speaking. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. 
for our light affliction, verse 17, which is but for a moment. Now, the light affliction he's talking about is adversity. Now, Paul knew these people were going through some really tough times. He knew they were having some hard, hard problems and situations to deal with. A lot of it was political. A lot of it had to do with the Roman Empire. A lot of it had to do with persecution coming against the church. He knew these people were having some really, really difficult times, yet he calls it light affliction. He says it's easy and it's only for a short time. That's a good way to look at problems. Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. I love that. John Osteen used to say one of the most often used scriptures in the Bible is, it came to pass. It didn't come to stay, it came to pass. That's what Paul's saying, our light affliction, which is but for a while. Works for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory while. Everybody say while. See, a lot of times people just think hard places make you stronger. They don't. Hard places handled well make you stronger. I think I'll say that again. Hard places don't make you stronger. Hard places that you handle well, meaning that you handle according to God's word, that makes you stronger. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the inward man being renewed day by day as you act on the word in the middle of your trouble. That works for you a far more exceeding weight of glory. While, and here's how you act on the word. Here's how you handle trouble well. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, the outward man, what you see, feel, and hear, the outward man's uh, five physical senses, for the things which are seen are temporal. The word temporal means subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's why the unseen things are greater and more real than the, than the seen things. That's why the words that are spoken from your heart have greater power than the circumstances and things that you feel and see around you. But the issue now becomes the question of what are you going to look at? What are you going to look at? Jesus said you can change your world with unseen things just by believing and speaking. Paul told us in chapter 11 of Hebrews that this is how the worlds were framed. By unseen things. And faith is the evidence of things that we don't see. Faith is the evidence of the reality of those unseen things. Now Paul is telling us when he writes to the Corinthians, he's telling us that the way for the trouble and the circumstances and the situations you're in to work for you a far more exceeding weight of glory, in other words, change them to come in line with God's will and plan and purpose for your life, the way to change those is to look at the unseen things instead of the seen things. Let me show you an example of that. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Remember the story of Abraham? God appears to Abraham at age 75. Says, if you'll go where I tell you to go, I'll bless you. I'll make you a blessing and I'll make your name great. Abraham says, okay, that sounds good to me. So he does what God tells him to do. God makes him rich. First thing right out of the gate, God makes him rich. He makes his name great. He makes him a blessing to other people. But the, the greatness of his name is just based on his possessions. He doesn't have the children that he understood to be part of the promise. So God solidifies that. He says, now, Abraham, I want you to understand something. I'm going to give you children that will number like the stars of the sky. How many stars are they in the sky? Abraham says, I don't know, lots. He said, well, you're, that's how your seed's going to be, as the stars of the sky. And if that's not enough, he says, or you'll, they'll number like the sands on the seashore. How many of those are there? Well, nobody could count those. He said, that's what the people that come from you are going to be like. Now, he's not just talking about his natural descendants. We know from uh, what Paul writes to the church in Galatians that that's talking about the church. He's talking about people that make Jesus the Lord of their lives. He's not just talking about natural Israel. That's where it started, natural Israel, but until the time Jesus came to the earth and, and made the sacrifice for all mankind. Now, Gentiles can be the seed of Abraham by making Jesus their Lord and Savior. So he's talking, when God made the promise to Abraham, he was including you and me. So Abraham goes along his way. He goes for 10 more years, and now he's age 85, and he doesn't have any children. So he and, uh, and his wife, Sarah, come up with an idea. Let's have a child. I'll give you my handmaiden, Sarah says. She's a little young lady named Hagar. 
and you can have a child with her and we'll call that your seed. Well, Abraham looks at Hagar and says, yeah, sure. Has a child with Hagar. Not really the smartest thing he could have done. But I think it is typical because a lot of times we try to bring God's promises to pass by our own actions. Even if it looks like it works in the long run, it's not a good thing. That's where all the trouble between the Arabs and the Jews started. Right there. Ishmael versus Isaac. So now he's 85 years old, got another child. But he realizes as soon as the child is born, he realizes this isn't really what God promised me. So he goes on along his way for another number of years, and God reconfirms the promise. He said, I told you you'd have a son. He says, yeah, I know. But by now, he's 99 years old, and he says, but I'm too old to have kids now. He said, why don't you just bless Ishmael? And God said, well, because he's yours, I will bless him, but he's not the child I promised you. Now, here's Abraham now. He's 99 years old, almost 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is 10 years younger than him. She's 90. As far as the childbearing process is concerned and the conception process of reproduction is concerned, that ain't happening anymore. So they've got an absolutely impossible situation. They've got a circumstance in their life that is physically impossible. I want you to understand that. And I have no doubt in my mind, this is just my own opinion, but I have no doubt as far as I'm concerned, that's why it happened at this point in time rather than at age 75 when they were still physically able to have children. God could have given them children at 75 just as easily as he did 25 years later, but the reason he waited 25 years is because he wanted Abraham to know this wasn't because you are some big stud. Abraham knew that that boat had sailed a long time ago. So if it's going to happen now, it's going to happen because of something God does, not because of something within his own ability. Same thing's true with Sarah. So God appears to them. Abraham, God tells Abraham, this time next year, you're going to have a child with Sarah. Really? Yep. And to prove it, I'm going to change your name. Now your name's not going to be Abram anymore. It's going to be Abraham. And the word Abraham, the name Abraham means father of a multitude. And I'm going to change Sarah's name too. I'm going to change her name from princess to mother of all. Well, Sarah doesn't have any kids. So she's got a choice. They both have choices. Are they going to take God's new names for them, which contradict everything that they can see? Are they going to start calling themselves by what God said their names are? Or are they going to stick with the others and say, well, you know, let's wait a year. And if it happens, then we'll change our names then which is exactly what a lot of Christians want to do. They want to see the results and then they'll believe. Well, Abraham apparently gets on board because God appears just another month or so later and starts speaking to Abraham and Sarah's listening in. This is when God comes down to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he tells Abraham what he's going to do. And so he speaks to him again about the child that will be born about this time next year. And he says again that he's going to have a child with Sarah. And Sarah laughs. She hears it outside the tent, and she laughs within herself. Nobody knows that she laughed except her and God, because God said, why does Sarah laugh? Abraham goes to her and says, did you laugh? She says, no, I didn't laugh. You know how women are. No, no, I didn't laugh. What do you mean? No, honey, no. I didn't laugh. But Abraham says, if God said you laughed, you laughed. Something's changed in Abraham. Now, whatever God says, he accepts to be fact because God said it. When Sarah laughs, God said, why did Sarah laugh? And he asked this question. He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, that is that is a question I live by. I would suggest you do the same. Because there's going to be all kinds of things that the devil is going to tell you are not going to work. For any number of reasons. And every time I ask myself the same question God asked Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, at the point you come to where you say, yeah, actually, this one is too hard for the Lord, then give up because you're not going to receive anything. But as long as you're still in the place where, well, no, I mean, it looks hard and it would certainly be too impossible for me to do, too hard for me to do, but nothing's too hard for God. As long as you're in that territory, you're in good shape. As long as you're looking at the right things. 
So Abraham goes to his wife, Sarah, and says, well, if God said you laughed, you laughed. So apparently something changes with her because she hears God ask the question, too, is anything too hard for the Lord? So she gets on board, too. She winds up being in the Hall of Fame and hero, uh, Hall of Fame of Faith, the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, just as much as Abraham does. That's encouraging to me because she got on board at the last minute. And still is commended for her faith. So they have the child. Now, how in the world did they go from 25 years of not having the answer to less than a year believing God and getting an impossible result? Now, it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen within about a year. Probably about nine months from the time he appeared the second time and uh, spoke and and Abraham and uh, what's her name? Sarah heard him laugh or laughed within herself. That was probably about nine months. How did it change so fast? How does somebody go from unbelief for 25 years or, or some part of that 25 years at least? Abraham probably started off in faith, but it probably, you know, dwindled as he went. By the time he gets to 85, they certainly aren't believing anything as far as he and Sarah are concerned, are they? So it's at least 15 years that he spent in unbelief concerning the promise of God. How's that change? How's that change so quickly? I get tickled with some people saying, well, not everybody can believe like you do, Pastor Mike. Well, sure they can. All they have to do is choose to. Not everybody's willing to. But anybody can. Anybody can have the faith that Jesus had. Anybody can have the same spirit of faith as Jesus. So what did Abraham do? Romans chapter 4 is all about what Abraham did. It's the New Testament explanation of what Abraham did so that we can follow his pattern of faith. Here's how Abraham changed his world. God didn't change it. Abraham did. All the time that Abraham's thinking, well, I don't know why this isn't happening. Abraham's the one that changes it and not God. Please understand that. If your world changes, it'll be because you change it, not because God changes it. Now, certainly God is the power behind the change, but you're the one that has to initiate the change. Verse 17. Speaking of Abraham, it says, as it is written, here's what God said about Abraham. I have made thee the father of many nations. When God said that to Abraham is when he changed his name before Abraham ever had a child. He said, I have made you the father of many nations before he ever had a son. God's not looking at things that we can see and feel to determine who we are. You need to know that you are not the, the who you are is not dependent on what you've done. That's why you can have sinned and claim that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you did the right thing? No, you may have done the wrong thing. But you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because God says so. And if that ever sinks in, that will change your world. You are not the product of what you have done. You are who God says you are. Whether you ever live up to it or not, you are who God says you are. And God says you're righteous. So of Abraham, he said, I've made you the father of nations. He didn't say you're going to be the father of nations. He said, I have made you. God calls things as if they're already done. God doesn't say someday you're going to be righteous. He says, I've made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are now. Well, I'm sure not living up to it, Pastor Mike. Yeah, I know. That's why you need to know who you are. Because when you know, when you really understand who you are because God said so, then you can start living up to it. Then you'll find the power and the strength to start living up to it. So God said of Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations. Before him, the Greek, instead of saying before him, the Greek is like unto him. Who he believed, even God. In other words, he said Abraham operated the same way God did. God operates in faith. We know God created the world's. By faith, by the spoken word, Abraham learned to operate the same way God does. That's why you can operate the same way that that God does too. That's why Jesus said this principle of faith can be operated by anybody. All you have to do is be like God. I know that's tough for a lot of people's religious notion too, but that's what the Bible says. So God said, Abraham, I've made you the father of nations. Now be like me. How am I going to be like you, God? Well, how's God like? God is the one who quickens the dead and calls things that be not as though they were. God quickeneth the dead. Now, why is it talking about quickening the dead? I I like to look at this verse as God's job description. He makes dead things live. 
And he calls things that be not as though they are. That is God's job description. He makes dead things alive. Now, that's good for Abraham because his body's dead. Sexually. As far as having a son is concerned, as far as having a child is concerned, both Abraham and Sarah's bodies are dead. They're not looking at their bodies saying, I believe they're alive. I believe they're alive. I believe they're alive. Their bodies are dead. And only God can change that. But only Abraham and Sarah can put the principle of faith in motion so that God can change it. Only God can heal the sick. But only the individual can believe God, can exercise their faith so that God can show his healing power strong on their behalf. Boy, I I wish I could get that across to people. If people just understood that, they'd quit fighting against God. And they think when they're hoping for something to happen, when they're begging God in prayer, please heal me, please heal me, they think something is working to their good, and it's not. They're working against themselves. They're working against the power of God rather than working in cooperation with it. So here's what God does. God quickens the dead. He makes dead things alive. Now, if your finances are dead, he can make them alive. If there's a part of your body that's dead relative to sickness, he can make that alive. Okay, I'm going to have to accept by faith that you're getting this. Second thing the Bible says God does is that he calls things that be not as though they are. Now, what does it mean call things that be not? He's saying things that you can't see. It's literally saying God speaks according to unseen things rather than seen things. Things that be not are things that are not reality in this natural realm. When God called Abraham, when God said of Abraham, I have made thee the father of nations, when he gave Abraham the name father of a multitude, physically Abraham was not. In this natural realm, Abraham was not the father of a multitude. In this physical realm, in this natural realm, Abraham had not been made the father of a multitude. Now, if it had a bunch of kids, then from a natural standpoint, he'd be the father of a multitude. But God called him the father of a multitude. He called him the father of nations based on unseen things, not based on seen things. So how does God operate? He speaks according to the unseen. Remember, there's two realities. One of them is going to be more real than the other to you. If you use faith, then the unseen can be more real than the, than that which you see. The unseen can change. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. We talk about faith. I, I guess we really should take some time and qualify. I'm talking about Bible faith. Because when you talk about faith, if you, if you don't qualify and if you don't uh, define your terms, people get the idea that, well, I just don't have faith. Folks, everybody has faith. It's just a question of what you have faith in. See, people that are looking at their body and saying they're not healed, they have faith. They have faith in what they see. People that don't believe in God, they have faith. They have faith that since they can't see God, he must not be real. Everybody believes something. You can't find, it's impossible to find somebody that doesn't believe something. Everybody believes something. It's the way God made us. People reject Jesus because of what they believe. People are what we call unbelievers, meaning unbelievers in Jesus. And the reason they're unbelievers in Jesus is because they believe something else. They have faith in something else. They may have faith in when you die, you're dead like a dog. There is no afterlife. Well, okay, if that's the case, then what would you need Jesus for? That may be somebody's reason for rejecting Jesus. But it's still faith. It's just faith that's misplaced. It's faith in what they can see or what they can think or reason to be true rather than faith in the unseen things of God. So do you understand what I mean when I talk about faith? So he calls things that be not as though they are. In other words, God speaks according to the unseen things of his realm. And Abraham got results because he acted like God. He became like God. Verse 18, here's what Abraham did. Who against hope believed in hope? Who against hope believed in hope? Now, what does that mean? Well, just like there are two realities, there are two hopes. There's a natural hope and there's a spiritual hope. 
Naturally, he had nothing to hope for. He looked at his body and said, nothing happening here. No way for me and Sarah to have kids. So he had nothing naturally to hope in. But he still found hope. What hope did he find? He found hope in the unseen things that God said. Now, what was the purpose of that hope? That he might become the father of nations. Abraham put his hope in the unseen so that he could become what God, become naturally what God had already said that he was. Does that make sense? Abraham is hoping to have what God said is already real. So what did he do? He found hope that went beyond what he could see or feel. What was that hope based on? What God said. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of nations. What did he base that hope in? According to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. He put his hope in what God said instead of what he could see and feel. And verse 19, being not weak in faith. Well, that means you can be weak in faith, doesn't it? And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of womb, of Sarah's womb. What does that mean? That means weak faith would have said, yeah, well, God said that I'm the father of nations, but look at her and look at me. There's still nothing happening here. That would have been weak faith. Why? Because you're looking at what God said, but you're judging it according to what you see in circumstance. That's what weak faith does. And that's where a lot of people are missing their healing. They agree. Yeah, the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed, but I'm not getting any better. That's being weak in faith. It is a measure of faith because you acknowledge what God said. But you're judging what God said by what you can see and feel. Abraham was not weak in faith, though. How do we know he wasn't weak in faith? Because he didn't consider his body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It doesn't mean that he denied that his body was dead. It doesn't mean that he denied that Sarah's womb was dead. It doesn't mean any of that. Faith doesn't deny the circumstance. Faith says there's a greater reality. Faith says, yeah, this is what it is naturally. That's why I'm applying the principle of faith, because I'm using the greater reality to change what we can see and feel. Make sense? Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I'm going to read this to you from the American Standard Version because I love how they put this. We already see in verse 19 that he didn't look at his own body. He didn't consider. He did, the word consider means the intensity of the gaze. In other words, he didn't focus on the condition of his circumstance, the condition of his body, the condition of Sarah's body, and judge God's word must not be true because of what we can see. He didn't focus on it. He recognized the reality, and that's why he's using faith to change things. He's looking at a greater reality, the word of God, so that he can change what he can see in his natural realm. So verse 20 from the American Standard Version. But looking under the promise of God, he wavered not, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, it tells you in verse 19 what he didn't look at. It tells you in verse 20 what he did look at. Verse 19 says he didn't look at the natural things to be the final determination. Sure, he recognized the circumstances. He needed. He understood this is why I've got to believe God, because physically it's impossible. But what God said will change the impossible things in the natural realm. So how do you do that? He looked at the promise of God. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. For though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a short while, worketh for us a far exceeding weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. But the things which are seen are temporal. They're subject to change. Abraham's impossible situation with having a child is subject to change. But the things which are not seen, God's word, are eternal. So looking at the eternal things, the un eternal unseen things, Abraham wavered not. He staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith. How do we know? How do we identify strong faith? We know what weak faith is. Verse 19 just said so. 
Weak faith says, yeah, here's what God said, but here's what it looks and feels like to me. Well, what does strong faith do? Strong faith looks at the promise of God and gives glory to God before it sees a change. But we're strong in faith, giving glory to God. Here's another thing strong faith does in verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. Two characteristics of strong faith. Strong faith glorifies God before he sees an answer. Why? Because God said it and his word is the unseen greater reality. Second characteristic of strong faith is it becomes fully persuaded. It may not start off fully persuaded, but the more you glorify God for it, for what he said, and the more you see his word and focus on his word and look to the promise of God, look at the unseen things which are greater than the things that we can see, the more you do that, the more and more confidence it builds on the inside of you so that you can come to the place where you are fully persuaded that God is more than capable of doing what he promised to do. And that's all it says about Abraham. That's all it says. It says what he did look at. It says what he didn't look at. It says what he gave glory to and when. and says what he believed. And that changed not only his world, but yours and mine too. That's the principle of faith, folks. There's nothing you can't change. I don't care what the doctor has said. I don't care how critical the doctor said it is. I don't care how he said it's incurable. I I don't care what a doctor said. I thank God for doctors. They're doing their best. To help people. And in my opinion, they keep a lot of Christians alive till they find out how to believe God. Thank God for doctors. But a doctor is just basing things on what he can diagnose, meaning what he can see, what he can find. He's basing things on the natural realm realities. And you need to know what the natural realm realities are. If you don't know what the natural realm realities are, you don't know what to believe for. But just because the doctor has identified this is the reality doesn't mean it can't be changed. It does not mean it can't be changed. Well, how do we change it? Find God's word for your situation. If it's sickness and healing is what you need, find God's word on healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you were healed. Well, how could Jesus take my sickness and my infirmity if I've got it? He took it before you ever got it. He took it upon himself and paid the price for it. That's what it means. He took it. He paid the price for it before you ever found out there was such a thing as Jesus. He took it upon himself when he went to the cross. He paid the price for it just like he paid the price for your sins. Well, when you got saved, what did you do? Jesus didn't have to come back to the cross for you. You just accepted what he already did. It works that way with healing too. You just accept what he already did. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, it doesn't feel like, it's, it doesn't feel like I'm healed. That's why you have to believe. Because it's only the principle of faith that will change the greater reality of the unseen, which is identified by the word of God, that can change the things that you see. Well, how long am I supposed to believe? Well, let me recommend to you that you just keep believing until it changes. After that, it's up to you. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's what you're not supposed to do. Number one, you're not supposed to look at your body as the judge of whether or not it's working. That's what weak faith does. Number two, since you're not supposed to be weak in faith, but let's follow Abraham's example of being strong in faith. Number two, what you do is you glorify God for it before you see the change. In other words, you start glorifying God. You start thanking God. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed. Yeah, but the doctor says it's getting worse. Doesn't matter. God's word says I'm healed. And I'm going to be like Abraham was, who was like God, who calls things that be not as though they are. Why? Because God said so. And the devil's going to try to beat you up over this. He's going to say, how in the world can you say you're healed when you, the doctor is confirming and you can see in yourself that you're still sick? Well, it's an easy answer. I'm not saying it because I think so. I'm saying it because God said so. If you've got a problem, go talk to God. I can guarantee you he won't take you up on that. The only thing he'll do is try to talk you out of it. He'll try to make you let go of what God said. And that's by choice, folks. You either choose to let go or hang on. The devil can't make you turn loose. So what do you do? You act like God and call things that be not as though they were. You look at the unseen things, which is identified by God's word, and say, wait a minute, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, so thank you, Father, that I'm healed. I'm not healed because I feel healed. I'm not healed because I look healed. I'm not healed because the doctor says I'm healed. I'm healed because you says I'm healed. You says says I'm healed. It's in there somewhere. I'm healed because you said so. 
And the more and more you do that, the more fully persuaded you become. The stronger and stronger it gets on the inside. You know what happens when you glorify God for something that you can't see yet? After a while, you start off just in, in a ritual sense. You start off because the Bible says to do it. You don't feel anything. You just start off and say, well, thank you, Lord. It's so good to be healed. Hallelujah. Look, I know I've been there. Thank you, Father, that I'm healed. And the devil's there all the time. You don't really believe that. And starting off, you might not, from an emotional standpoint anyway. But if you choose to do what the Bible says, that's faith in action. And so you just keep going. Yeah, well, this is what the Bible says to do. Thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. I'm looking at the word. I'm looking at the promise of God. Got to look at something. What are you going to look at? You're either going to look at the natural condition and circumstance or you're going to look at what God said. The more you look at what God said and say, wait a minute. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Therefore, thank you, Father, that I'm healed. By his stripes, I was healed. If I was healed then, then I am healed now. Irrespective of what the doctor says, irrespective of the things that are going on, the circumstances in my body. I'm not telling you to throw away your medicine. Take your medicine. It'll keep you going until your faith takes hold. Medicine doesn't have anything to do with faith. See, people get all twisted up in things. Well, if I'm believing God, should I throw away my medicine? Well, of course not. Your medicine is just dealing with the circumstances, just dealing with the symptoms. If you got a headache, is it wrong to take aspirin? Well, folks, headaches are not caused by an aspirin deficiency in the body. Aspirin is just tr- treating the symptoms. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you put a Band-Aid on a cut? That's treating the symptom. That's all medicine is. It's a Band-Aid. Don't get, don't get, let the devil twist you up in things. Oh, but he, I was just thinking if I'm really believing God, then I ought to throw away all my medicine. Please don't do that. That's like the lady that came to church and was believing God for her eyes to be healed, so she took off her glasses and stomped them on the floor and broke them. I said, how are you getting home? She said, I've got my car. And I said, can I leave first, please? That's crazy. Believe God and expect the change. God's not impressed by you throwing away your medicine or not taking it or or something like that. So what do you do? You're looking under the promise of God and you're giving glory to him. Now, it may seem like a ritual. It may seem like a, a, a mechanical thing. That's okay. Do it anyway. Because the more you do it, the more it'll become a part of who you are. The more and more it'll take hold. And sooner or later, somewhere along the way, the more you focus at, focus upon and look at the promise of God and meditate on the fact that Jesus already took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. You're not looking for God do, to do something down the road. God's already done something behind you. When it comes to your attention, when you, when that dawns on you, it'll come alive on the inside and then you won't be glorifying God because it's a ritual or some kind of mechanical thing. You'll be glorifying God because, well, pray, whoa, praise God, this is already done. Then your praise will have a different effect. Then the words will be coming from your heart instead of those words trying to get it into your heart. That's why Jesus only had to speak to the fig tree one time. Because the word was already established in his heart. And when the word is established in your heart, it doesn't take confessing forever. The hard part is to get the word in there. That's what takes work. Because you're having to work against everything that you've grown up thinking and believing and hearing and and the way you're used to operating. It's a complete change of life. But it can be done. It can be done. You can have the same spirit of faith as Jesus by believing what he believed and saying what he says. Folks, nothing is too hard for you to change. And I said that specifically. I didn't say nothing's too hard for God to change. There's nothing too hard for you to change in your life. All it takes is the operation of faith because God is there to back you up on whatever you believe for. God's standing on the other end of the rope saying, please pick your end up. I'm ready to go. And that rope is the way you take things from the unseen realm and bring them in to the natural realm. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, that there's nothing too hard for you and there's nothing that's impossible for us. Jesus said, what things soever we desire. When we pray, believe that we receive them and we shall have them. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Father, thank you that by faith we can change our worlds. We can change sickness into healing. We can change poverty into prosperity. We can change 
the absence of peace into heaven on earth. Thank you, Father, that nothing is too hard for your people when we act upon your word, when we look at your promises, meditate thereon, speak them, and give you glory for the results. Thank you, Father, for doing supernatural and even spectacular things in our lives. Now, let's act on that. Let's all stand. I'm going to lead you in a confession. I want you to say this after me, but don't just repeat the words. Let your heart agree with it. Now, close your eyes so you're not focused on anybody else and say these words after me. According to God's word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses on the cross. Therefore, sickness and disease, all sickness and disease has been paid for. I belong to God. Therefore, by faith, I declare from my heart, not because of circumstance, not because of what I see, not because of what I feel, but because of what I believe, I declare that I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. If I was healed when Jesus went to the cross, then I am healed now by faith. So, Father, I choose to be strong in faith and give you glory. Thank you, Father, for healing me. Thank you that I am healed. Thank you that healing is mine now. And my faith activates the power of God to change the circumstances in my body. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Now start praising Him. Just lift your hands and start thanking Him for healing. Thank you, Lord. So good to be healed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our sickness and our infirmity, for bearing it, for paying the price for us so we need not bear it. Thank you, Lord, that it's done in Jesus' precious name. It's done in Jesus' precious name. It's done, not because we feel it, not because we see it. It's done because God said so. And we look under the promise of God. We look not at the things which are seen. We look not at the condition of our body. We look at the promise of God. Because the condition of our body is subject to change. But God's word can never change. It can never fail. It can never fade out. It can never become obsolete or come to an end. Thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. So good to be healed. It's so good to be healed, Father, in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. We'll not give up, Father. We'll not turn loose of our faith. We'll continue to look at your promise. We'll continue to meditate on on that which you have said. We'll continue to thank you for it. We'll continue to speak it. We declare that we have the same spirit of faith as Jesus who believed and spoke. We therefore believe and speak. And we won't turn loose, Father. So we count it done now. Because you said so. Healing is mine now. Say that with me. Healing is mine now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, folks, let me tell you something. This may seem simplistic to some. If this is the first time somebody's heard it, they may think, well, they don't think that's really going to work, do you? Let me tell you something about faith. In order for faith not to work, Jesus would have to be a liar. And that's not the case. You doing what we just did continually, maybe as a mechanical thing until it gets down on the inside of you, but you doing that continually prevents the devil from keeping sickness in your body. Let me say it this way. The devil has, does not have enough power to overcome the faith that you just exercised. Now, you may not think that you exercise a great deal of faith because you may not have felt anything. Let me tell you something Smith Wigglesworth said. He seemed to know something about faith. He raised 20-some-odd people from the dead in his ministry. So he knew something about faith. He said this. He said, when I feel the strongest in faith, that's when I'm the weakest. Because then I'm relying on my feelings. But when I don't feel anything and act just simply because God's word says so, that's when I'm the strongest in faith. So if you didn't feel anything when we just did it, you're in great territory. That's strong faith. And if you maintain just that same level of faith, the devil is not strong enough to keep you sick. He's not strong enough to keep sickness on your body. 
And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a headache or if you're in a wheelchair. Doesn't make any difference. Sickness is all of the devil and it's all been paid for. Period. Let's lift our hands and thank him one more time because we're healed. Thank you, Father. The healing is ours in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, healing is ours. Oh, Father, it's so good to be healed. It's so good to be healed. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for paying the price, Lord. Healing is ours now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us. Have a great week. If you can come back and be with us Wednesday night, we invite you to do so.